Well, good morning. This is, uh, this is one of those Sundays where the pastor is always uh, filled with fear as he uh, comes to uh, Sunday because with the ladies gone, the men have a tendency to play. And so uh, we're excited that you're here and we really trust as we uh, just share out of God's word that uh, it'll be a great time together. Uh, just a couple things. If, uh, as, as Bill was talking about small groups, we have some sheets in the back that just list out the specific times and opportunities. And on your Again, on your response card, if you're not in a group, just put group and we'll, uh, we'll get in personal contact with you. Also, there's Grace Notes, which is, uh, we put that out monthly in the back, have some other information. And we got uh, some special things planned for May. Going to do a church picnic on May 21st, an opportunity. This, uh, as we've been praying for people in our relational world, give an opportunity to, to invite them to something special. Uh, but today's, uh, it's a great day as we look at God's Word this morning. And as uh, we do so, I just want to begin this way. I, I've entitled the message... The truth about radical living. Um, last night I had an opportunity to uh, go to an event that uh, my youngest son is leading. It's called Common Ground. It's, it's a ministry reaching out to, uh, I guess one of the best ways you can put it, underprivileged uh, uh, teenagers, uh, high schoolers, and middle school uh, students. And on one of the walls he had, stay rad. Uh, I guess rad would be short for radical. In many ways, what I would say is uh, to stay rad, you first of all have to get rad or be rad, right? And really what we're going to do this morning is we're looking at a passage that really talks about radical living. And even as I was uh, praying through, again, the message this morning, I was thinking about what I was about to preach, uh, sharing with you the words of Jesus. And I I just want to say this very, very bluntly and clearly. Every one of you here this morning, you you are not going to be able to apply this. It's impossible for you to live this out. None of you, without exception, cannot live what we're going to see this morning. So let's just go home and uh, forget about it, all right? <laughs> but as I was thinking about that, and of course I'm included in this because I'm one of the persons here, is that, you know, with men, uh, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so we're going to be looking at a passage, really, that is impossible to live out, apart from, first of all, knowing Jesus, and, and then wanting to, on a daily basis, follow what Jesus wants you to, to live out. It begins with knowing, and then wanting, and then God empowering. But, but this, is, this, is, this is radical living. It is, this is being rad and getting rad, uh, because Jesus spoke in such a way that, that it just amazed people. It amazed people because... Because of what he said, but how he said it, the authority in which he communicated it. And really it spoke into the heart. Because as you hear these words, it, in the midst of its impossibility, you begin thinking, what would life be like if people really lived this way? You know, how, would, how would my family be if, if I started this off and I lived this way? How, how would my relationships in my neighborhood or at work or at school or whatever it might be, how would life be if... If this is how life was lived. And, and so we're going to see that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. But if not, actually I've got the entire passage in the outlines this morning. Not necessarily all the cross-references we'll look at. But Jesus challenged us to, to live out a life that is not live naturally. In fact, in many ways, I'll, I'll throw this in for free. Uh, this is really also a challenge for people to understand. This is why you need Jesus. Because this is the standard God has set. We looked, we looked a few weeks back about the truth about the law. And in many ways that kind of challenged uh, some of you in the way of looking at the Old Testament, particularly the Mosaic Law. And, 
And, and I made the point that I really believe that we're not under the Mosaic law. That we're, we're, that's not, the Ten Commandments are not our governing principles. Now, there's much truth in there, and we learn from everything in the Old Testament. But really, our standard was, was explained in a much higher way by Jesus. If you look at the longer version of the text we're going to look at today, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and if you're new to the Bible, we're going to try to explain everything clearly, and, and I'm, we're glad you're here and pray you might just kind of investigate what Jesus has to say. It, it, what he has to say is just mind-blowing. It, it took people who, who diligently and faithfully tried to, to follow the law in its most detailed way and then all of a sudden he said things and said I'm not even close to living this way and that drives us if I'm not close to living up to God's standard (laughs) what hope is there for me and he said there's only one hope and that's found in a right relationship with Jesus because he fulfills the law for us and he not only forgives us of our sin but he gives us God's righteousness and then he gives us the power and the pattern to live it out So here this morning, we're going to look at some things that are are the challenge for us to be the people God wants us to be so that people can see that that God's alive and real and He's living in our lives. Now let let me make a couple other summary points and then we'll look at some details. We're only going to look at a few verses, but in them are packed full of stuff that just should challenge us to the core of who we are. To say, "This this is the pattern I need to follow. If you were to ask yourself, you know, what, what, is the, what is the badge or the mark of a true follower of Christ? I was, uh, I was reading one person a few weeks ago, actually, and he said, you know, when I read this passage, I don't even think I'm a Christian. Because this is so beyond how I normally live. Now, he, he didn't really believe that. He knows that he's saved by God's grace. It's not our works. But this is, this is a high standard. And so... Uh, really what these are, are the marks of being a true follower of Christ. Well, what, what is the badge? Is it perfect attendance at Sunday school or church or, you know, when my wife's away? You know, what, 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 well, you know, what is the perfect attendance for, or what is the perfect badge to say, I'm, I'm true, a true follower of Christ? Is it uh, religious activity? Is it taking communion? Is it baptism? What, what, you know, what is it? And, and Jesus really answered that. And he answered that in a variety of different ways. Uh, one time, one of the... the the scribes came up to him, a teacher of the law, and he said, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of laws in the Old Testament. And we looked at a number of weeks ago, there are 613 specific laws in the Old Testament. And sometimes, this is again for free, sometimes the word law in the Old Testament is not used specifically just for the law. It really is a term used for God's truth in the Old Testament. So we, we meditate on God's law in the Old Testament. We, we reflect on its truth and its inherent expression of the character of God. But it's not always specifically talking about the Mosaic law. But the commandments, the imperatives in the Old Testament were 613 uh, in specific statements to us. And so he said, well, you know, that's, that's, that's quite a few to, to follow. And I think I challenged all of us. Uh, how many have ever memorized, some of you have memorized the Ten Commandments, but how about the other 603? Anybody got that down? And so he was kind of struggling with that. He said, well, well, what's the greatest commandment? And so Jesus said, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. And, and so it summarized the whole law. And, and then on another occasion, Jesus gave something that didn't seem particularly true to the ear, but then it got to their heart. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Oh, a new commandment. It's going to be 614, you know. What, what's the new commandment? And he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. 
Now, if you had been hearing that and stopped right there, you're thinking, uh, Jesus, I think, I've, I think I've heard this one before. But he goes on to say, a new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Which, again, raises that bar because yeah, it's one thing to say I love you and it's another thing to actually live that out in terms of the depth of what that word means. We, we, we too flippantly use the word I love. You know, I, I love tacos, you know. Well, would you give your life for a taco? I don't think so. Uh, and so he says, I want you to love just as I have loved you. And I was, I was just even thinking about that. This is going to be a shotgun message here. It is, you, know, you know, Jesus would talk about his death for them, that he was going to sacrifice his life because of their sin. And, and first of all, they would, they would try to persuade him that that wasn't going to happen. But then they would go on to these interesting discussions. Right after you talk about his sacrifice for them, he said, oh, by the way, Jesus... Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Am I going to be, am I going to be on the top of the ladder here? I'm thinking, he loved these kind of people? And so he said, a new commandment I give you, that love one another even as I have loved you. And then he says, this is why this is so important. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's the greatest commandment. It's the badge by which people recognize Jesus. And then he takes it to the point where he said, well, who are you to love? And we're going to see that in this passage this morning. Well, how, how radical are we living? And, and the thing I like about this, and again, I would really encourage all of you who haven't ever intended a shape class, which just kind of looks at how God has made you and how God can help you understand where he wants you to serve him. But this has nothing to do about spiritual gifts. It's more about spiritual fruit. It, it has nothing about how uniquely you've made, but it's really the, the shape of your heart. Is this, is this what you want to be all in to if you're all in to God? And this is radical living because no one lives like this naturally. And so Jesus, right after he talked about being blessed, that's what we looked at last week, and hopefully you felt blessed last week. You are blessed by God if you know him. He now goes into, I guess, what you call the imperatives of the, script, of the, of the Christian law. Here, here's the royal law. This is Christ's law. And he says this, but I say to you here, love your enemies. Now, if we just stop here, but I say to you all you here, love, well, you would say this is, again, something we can put on a Hallmark card, particularly in a Hallmark movie, okay? You, you could put it on a refrigerator. We're all supposed to love. But he says, I call you not only to love people you like, I mean, you, I mean you, but also love people you don't like. In fact, he even used a stronger term here. He says, I, I said, you ought to love your enemies, the people that hate you. And quite frankly, if you're being honest, and it's good to be honest in church, you know, that you hate your enemies, right? And it's interesting as he says this. And so here's the first point. If we're going to live radically, are we willing to love everybody, not just people we like? And, and, he, and he tried to grab their attention because and he, he had zeroed in. He had talked to the crowd, talked to the multitude. Now he's zeroing on his disciples, to his closest, closest followers. The people who were listening to him are on the front row. Remember in, in school, the people who really wanted to get the best grades got in the front row, and the people who wanted to mess around went in the back row. I went to the back row, and people were in the front row. Okay, He, is, he said, I'm talking to you in the front row who, who always seem to be listening, but I, I'm going to ask you, do you have ears to hear here? I want to say to you, 
I want to say to you who hear. I remember being asked in a setting, that's a longer story, but does anybody know, uh, they were talking about all pastors, you know, people taking multiple years of Greek. Does anybody remember what the word for here is? And I just studied it, so I felt pretty proud. I just studied it, you know, the week before. But the word for here is a word from which we get the word, it's the word akuo, acoustics, and then it's intensified, hupa akuo. And it says, I, I want you to hear, but not just the sounds. I want you to hear this with the, the pursuit of, of following after what you hear. You, you, you remember uh, parents, or if you can't remember that, remember a coach, you know, and he, he, he's barking out the play, or the parents is asking the, the child to do something, and, the, and, and maybe it's the, the parents saying, go clean up your room. And, 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 your, and your child just what? Sits there. And, you, and you're going, did you hear me? You know? And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I guess you meant what you said. You want me to clean up my room, and you want me to clean up my room now. And that's what he's saying. I, I want you here, and I want you to place yourself under what you just heard. And so they're thinking, okay, I, I need, this is going to be on the test. I better listen to it. I better respond to it. And then he, he tells them something that just blows them away. I want you to love totally different than even the best people you know who love. Because it, it's... It's hard to love our friends well, isn't it? It's hard to love our family well. It's, it's hard to love the people we like well because our selfishness creeps in. And he says, I want you to take this to another level. I want you to love your enemies. Now, does anybody agree with me in my introduction that this is impossible? Okay. And so we need to understand if this is impossible, then what, where, where's the hope here? Well, the hope is, you, we can look at it from a number of different angles, but the hope here is found in even the specific word he uses for love here. Then I just, you know, just to be academic, I put down some, the, the four Greek words, only two of them actually are used in the New Testament, but they're used in a lot of classical Greek um, literature. Uh, there is a, there, what he's talking about here is now what's called a storge love, storge is a Greek word, which is just natural affection. You know, there's certain things we like and certain things we don't like. If we like it, it's so easy to, to, to embrace it and to, to show kindness or goodness or response to it. But he's not talking about storge love. He's also not talking about philia love. Uh, you know, we are all familiar probably with Philadelphia. It's a city of brotherly what? Love. Well, it, you, know, you know, sometimes we fight with our brothers, but, but you, know, you know, in our family. But really there is a sense there that we will give ourselves to, to people that are our friends and, and to our family. We're committed to them. But he's not talking about that here. There's also eros love, and that's romantic love or sexual love. That's attraction love. But that's not the word he uses here. He uses the word agape. And that's sacrificial, selfless love. And, and so what he's simply saying here, and he doesn't go through every nuance here, but he said, look, if you're going to be rightly related to me, if you're going to be my discipler, and we looked at that a couple of weeks as Bill was preaching, that means you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're learning from Jesus, you're depending upon Jesus, then that should spill over in how we live. And he's saying, if that, if that spills over, then this is what I want you to do. I, I, I want you to begin taking those people in your life that, that just, you, 
you just can't wrap your mind and even further your heart around them. And I, I want you to agape them. I, I, I'm not talking about having warm feelings. We're not talking about warm feelings. That's something you can't control how you feel. But you and I, by the Spirit of God working in us, can, can have God work through us and change how we respond to people and how we act toward people. And it begins with intentionally say, God, I want, I want now to see people as you see them. And I want to be selfless and I want to be sacrificial. Now, this is not simply a message on love, but, you know, there's a tough side of love and a tender side of love. That doesn't mean that you, you spoil people in your relationship with them. It doesn't mean you forget about truth and what's right and what's wrong. But basically what love is, is seeking someone else's highest good. Do, doing that which is beneficial for them. Pointing them in the right direction. Doing what you can for them. And not looking so much at what it's doing for you. How can I lift them up rather than tear them down? You know, there's that, it's a part of the gospel message, but in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. And not when we deserved it, but before we deserved it. And, and Jesus, even on the cross, what did he do? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so even that most heinous crime of all of history, if it is true about who Jesus is, Jesus said, this is the one sin we're not going to put on their account for anybody. And really, everyone's sin is what put Jesus on the cross. So that particular sin has been covered. But our rebellion against him has to be measured out by our response to him. So I guess if, if we're, if we're going to go beyond just understanding what I'm trying to explain what Jesus said, we have to begin thinking, who, who is it in our life right now if, if, if God would have put up his plumb line or his measuring stick and say, okay, is there anybody in your life that you are not even treating as God would want you to treat an enemy? Are, are you seeking their good? Are, are you willing to forgive them? Are, are you willing to, to seek how you can be a helper for them. You know, that, that's, that's the challenge here. He, he was speaking to people who were oppressed by Rome. They had more enemies than they did have friends, living in their own country in terms of sense, the sense of power. He says, I want you to, I want you to listen. This is, this is to respond to, not just hear the sounds of it. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love people you don't even like, maybe even hate, then do it sacrificially and doing it in an unselfish way. But then he, then he goes on, and, you know, because he, know, he knows we need to hear it, you know, as, as pragmatically as possible. And so in the latter part of verse 27, he goes on and says, oh, by the way, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Now we say, okay, this is how it's lived out. Again, um, we're not talking about warm feelings. When, when people hate you, you don't feel good about that. When, when people are saying all kinds of things in a derogative, derogative way toward you, it doesn't lift your spirits. But I want you to respond radically different. And we, would we agree this is a radical way of life? 
This is not natural. This is counterintuitive. This is not how we normally think. And that's why Jesus spoke with authority and amazes because he said things no one else had said in such a powerful way. Do good to those who hate you. Uh, there's a number of different Greek words in the New Testament for good, agathos and kalos. Kalos is, is, a, is a word you hear used, and he says, I'm not talking about simply that's what, what looks good on the outside. Kind of the, the, there is a something, you know, that's a, that's a good picture. Have you, did anybody ever take, are any of you like this, you know, you look at pictures, and particularly this group picture, I've, met, I've used this illustration in the past, and, and you're looking at the picture, and, and some of the people, it's a pretty good picture of them, but somebody else, it's not a good picture of, and all of a sudden that makes that picture not very good because your picture doesn't look very good. Okay, and what, and what, how are we using the word good? I, I, I don't look, uh, I don't look, um, I guess you wouldn't ever say beautiful, but I, I don't look as um, passable as I would like to look in that photo, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, it extrinsically, you know, it's, it extrinsically look good. He's not using this word here. I, I'm not saying what's the superficial part. He's intrinsically. I want you to do which is really helpful and beneficial on their behalf. That's the kind of goodness I want you to look. So you determine the people that you don't like or, or they don't like you, and he uses that here, who hate you. You might not hate them, but they hate you and say, well, I'll just, I'll just ignore them. And, and sometimes that's the best thing at that moment, but you ought to look for say, well, even though they want to ignore me or hate me, how can I help them? How, how can I do something beneficial for them? Help others with, with good deeds. And the opposite of blessing those who curse you is when they're unkind with the things they say, say something kind about them. Now, you know, God is the God of all creation, right? And you're thinking, I can't think of any nice thing to say about that person. Well, you might not be able to think of anything nice, but maybe God could, could illumine your mind to think of something you could say kind about them. You know, I really like, you know, he's such a great, he never kicks his dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, you know, think of something you can say in a positive way about someone that, you know, you, you just, it's, it's hardly imaginable you can think of it. But, but, you know, th just think about our political world here. You know, we are so polarized as a country right now. And uh, there are big issues and, and there's directions uh, politicians take, but, you know, couldn't we think of something nice to say about something we didn't vote for? Couldn't we do that? Couldn't we do that? That's, that's what he's saying here. Show kindness to, to people who, and that even gets on a personal, when they, they don't say kind things to you. And, and of course, here's where it gets energized. In some ways, if, if we were to reverse the order, of course, we're never going to reverse the order of Jesus' words because he had it right the first time, but Maybe I ought to begin here. Pray for those who mistreat you. Have you found when you pray diligently for someone or consistently for someone, it changes how you see them, and then it can follow into how you treat them? And quite frankly, sometimes if I'm being really honest in my prayers, and I would submit to you it's good to be honest in your prayers. God doesn't want to, you to, to sound good, but not really. That's not the expression of what you want to to say to him, be honest about how you're struggling with that. But then in, like a lot of the Psalms, God, even though I'm so filled with anger or hatred toward whatever's going on, I'm praying for your will to be done. And even in these particular lives, and, and if you bring judgment, that's your 
responsibility or those in positions of power governmentally to do so, but I want what's best for them. And you begin praying for them. And, and maybe that'll be the entry step where they make those first steps to see the reality of who God is and God comes into their life and changes their life. But pray for them. Pray for them. So what's radical living? Radical living is not going to some deepest, darkest, dangerous place on the planet and, and, and trying to do something miraculous for God. And if God leads you to do that, you know, all praise to Him. But it's living out what God wants us to live here and with whomever we come in contact. And it begins with having a listening ear and say, I, I'm committed to, to intentionally love people I don't like, maybe that are even my enemies. And then practically, I want, I want to look for how can, I, how can I do something good by helping them? How can I say kind words about them? Think of something you can compliment them about and begin praying regularly for them. But then Jesus goes on, again, a radical living. He says something that in, in many ways, it, it, this, this section here doesn't seem, not only does it seem impossible to live out, it almost seems like it maybe even shouldn't be lived out. At least I sometimes struggle this way with it. Look at Luke 6, 29 through 30. He says, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, and do not demand it back. And you're thinking, really? Can a society live that way? You know, if, if, if people start hitting me, I'm just saying hit me more. And, you know, they, ha they don't have as much as they want, so I give them everything I have. How, how is this supposed to work? Because if they have less than I do, and I give everything I have, now what have I become? I'm a person who needs everything from him. So, okay, I, I, they ask for me, I give it to them, and now I say, well, you give it to me. And, and they don't give it back to me, and now I have nothing. Well, is that what he's saying here? Now, this, this description can be dangerous, and I hope you get the, the point here. There were times where Jesus spoke high. Hyperbolic, uh, hyper, well, in hyper language, hyperbolic, hyperbolic language. He, he exaggerated things. Now, by that, I don't mean he wasn't being serious about what he said. And, and there was a, a, a literal point to that. But when, when Jesus said, you know, if, if your eye you know, offends you, you know, pluck it out, right? You know, if your hand, you know, does something destructive, take it off, right? Now, on one sense, you could take it literally. It, it, do whatever it takes to surgically remove that which will cause you to sin. But I, I guess why I'm saying that's a little bit hyperbolic language is that we don't know too many of Jesus' disciples that went around with only one eye, right? Or one hand. And did any of them ever sin? Okay, of course they did. Uh, but what are you saying here? Look, at you need to be so serious about sin that you understand that you, you do surgery to whatever caused you to, to fall away from my plan. Now, I... I think there are times exactly when, when you get slapped, you just, you just turn the other cheek. Uh, but I think primarily, if we were to take this literally, what are you saying here? Look, at, if you're just insulted, and usually that's what a slap. He's not talking about slugging. He's talking about a slap. Now, you can respond back in kind, or you can say, you can just let it go, right? 
You're not going to take the bait. Okay, they, they insulted you, so now what? You're going to insult them. They offended you, and now you're going to offend them. He says, just, just take the high road. Just, just let it go. Um, the same thing about clothing. Okay, uh, he's talking about legitimate needs here. If, if a person has a legitimate need, then, then give what you can. And, and, and don't be, don't hold back. Do, do, what, do whatever you can. Now, in that day, they didn't have a closet full of clothes, most of the people, the multitude. They had one coat. In the Old Testament, if, if someone needed your coat, and, they, and the coat, interesting enough, was, was also used as a blanket. It's usually made out of wool, so you, you wore it when it was cold, and then at night you, you took it off, and it was, it was your bed. And, and if, it said in the Old Testament, if, you, if someone asked you for your coat and you gave it to them, they were supposed to give it back before sundown because it would be hard for you to survive without that coat if it was inclement weather. But, but he, what the point he's saying here is that we ought to be known as much as anything else as generous people. And that's why I put in this, in this particular text, uh, how do we live radically? Do not be easily offended. Uh, are, are you a little bit too sensitive? And he, you, know, you don't have to raise your hand. You know, some of us are, are really sensitive. And we probably, however, as we look at our, that, we, do we want to be known as a person that, that other people have to walk on what kind of shells? Eggshells. Do you know people in your life you have to walk on with eggshells? Or walk on, walk, you have to be careful how you walk? Why? Because they're so easily offended. Now, is it easier to see what's wrong in somebody else's life more than it is in your own life? I'm great at that. Okay, I get really, okay. You know, it's quite possible there are times where people have to walk on eggshells around us as well. Isn't that true? But is that really want to be, is that, is that the label we want? Do, Do we really want to be people who are so... You know, you know, they have to be so careful around us because they might say something, do something, and, and set us off. And he said, look at it. Someone slaps you on the cheek, just what? Turn the other cheek. You know, in some ways, you could put it this way. One of a, a mandate for all of our lives is, is just don't take things personally. If someone says something to you that really is offensive, whose problem is it? It's their problem, right? Just refuse to take it personally. Just let it, let it slide. Now, are there times where there needs to be a correction? Of course. Jesus, in John 18, verse 22, he got struck in one of the illegal trials he was under. And they struck him because of he responded back in truth. And, and after he got struck, he didn't turn the other cheek. Now, he didn't strike him down with lightning, but in verse 23, he said, uh, did I say the truth? If I didn't say the truth, then, then um, rebuke me. But what he had said was the truth, and no one responded back. And, and actually, after 16, you have Paul and Silence thrown in jail, a marvelous story about the opportunity to present the gospel, and, and, and then they have this conversation with the jail. Oh, by the way, could you tell all those other people that we're Romans? Oh, we'll let you go right now. No, no, they have to come and let us out. And what did he do? He appealed to the law. We are, we are unlawfully being put in jail at this point, and so he appealed to the law. But, but what happened here is, and, and, is that you look at the lifestyle of Paul or Jesus, they, they weren't easily offended, and they didn't always demand their rights, but at times they did. But it was for a purpose. 
It was a purpose to, to, to give them either freedom to present the gospel or to go on with God's agenda in their life. But it wasn't because it, it was all about themselves. And, and wouldn't we be totally different people if we, if we just didn't take things personally? We weren't easily offended. We weren't the kind of people that just are ready to, to have that little short fuse be lit off. Now, this is a process, too. In, in case I don't get back to this, um, this is impossible, but with the power of God... We can progressively become more like these, these imperatives, these royal law commandments want us to be. We can begin to love people who don't love us in return. We can do good to those who don't good to us, who curse us, and we, 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 we give good comments back to them. We are the people who pray for others who that's the last thing they would think about. Do not be easily offended. Don't think you have to get even. Be generous and don't expect life to be fair. And that's what, that's what often triggers us. And, and it's just not little kids who don't like it when that wasn't fair. We as adults pull that card, don't we? Don't we? We pull that card. So it's not fair. Well, just like we tell our kids, life is not what? It is not fair. It wasn't fair to Jesus. It wasn't fair to the, the, the disciples of Jesus right after he left. But they changed the world because they lived radically. Now, it, it, the government is placed into positions of responsibility to, to respond to that which is wrong in our society. But we have no place for us to take vengeance. And people in authority, in any institution of life, they, they have responsibilities to bring order. But what happens is we take that too often on our own personal responsibility and just relationships and Jesus don't live that way so how do we live radically we love those who don't love us in return we help others with good deeds and with kind words and sincere prayers we we don't be easily offended we we're generous we we don't take into account wrong suffered number four real quickly we live out the golden rule by intentionally treating others like you want to be treated and in fact, let's together read Luke 6.31. It's in your outline this morning. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Let's do it again. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now don't look at it and say it. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now you've all memorized this verse, all right? Now every day I want you to repeat it. In fact, we have it in your um, uh, grace notes and I think in your outline today or your bulletin. The, the long, I, I, I'm so tempted to give you a longer passage, but I'm only going to give you Luke 6.31. I'm taking back Luke 6.32. I want everyone to memorize, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. This is what's called the golden rule. And, and for some people, when they look at this, they say, well, you know what? It, well, didn't other people say the same thing? And, and in some ways, yes, but they all did it slightly different, at least the most popular ones. The Greek Isocrates wrote it this way. Do not do to others that which angers you when they do it to you. And that's, that's a great way to put it. Confucius said, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. The Jewish rabbi Hillel was probably the most popular or prominent uh, rabbi other than Jesus. What is hateful to you, do not uh, do to your neighbor. And if you look at all those, all those were, were stated in the negative rather than the positive. 
And one way to look at that, and it's all right to look at that, uh, you know, they had great statements there is, well, if you don't treat people badly, maybe they won't treat you badly. And in some ways, you could, that could be a self-serving thing. But, and it's, it's responding back, okay, rather than um, what you do intentionally. But he says, no, 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 Jesus took it other. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. You know, when you get on that telephone, when you get on that email or that Facebook, and you're going to, or on that tweet, and, and wouldn't we like some people who are tweeting nonstop to stop, you know? And saying, look at intentionally. You know, if, if you wouldn't want to receive that kind of email, then don't send it out. And, and you be the, you the one, because usually with, with, with stuff, <laughs> isn't that true? I, I'll do it if you'll do it first, right? I'll respond that way if, 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 you're the, if you take the first step. He said, no, you treat, take the first step. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. I threw in a few things as far as what that would look like. Uh, when we treat others the same way you want them to treat you, it, you'll do it with your choice of words. Would you want people to say the same words to you that you just said to them? Uh, secondly, the tone of your voice. Now, you, you can say volumes by not the exact uh, verbiage that comes out, by just the attitude and the, the volume or the harshness of what is being said. Or how about this one? The willingness to be patient. Um, I, I much prefer being people being patient with me rather than me being patient with others. Anybody want to agree to that? Yeah, I, I like when people are patient, but how patient am I with them? Well, if I'm thinking what this golden rule is, treat others the same way I want them to treat me or treat you as he said in the text. I'm thinking, okay, how, how patient am I going to be when I respond to this person? Now, th there's, a, there's a place for confrontation. Where this is not all of God's word here. There's a place w w with holding people accountable. We're, we're not talking that's not part of God's plan here. But on a relational level, you know, there's a place for patience with people. And of course, our actions. What kind of actions? Are they kind actions? This is radical living, isn't it? If we live like this, people are say. You must be a follower of Jesus because only Jesus talks like this. And then the last section, let me just read the passage and then make a simple point. Well, let me make the point and then read the passage. All right, here, here's how I'd summarize what we're about to read. Care for others unconditionally with no expectations of it being reciprocal. This is what Jesus says in Luke 6, 32 through 36. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? So he kind of goes through what he's been already talking about and say, look, don't, don't be that impressed that you're, you're loving people you already love. Everybody does that. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. And, and the practical part of that would be this. When we help people, there's sometimes when we're helping people, we better realize from the very beginning that we don't expect anything back. And I'll just say this on a corporate level. We have a communion fund, a deacon's fund, and um, 
and, and there are people in need in our community and in our church, and, and we give to them. And when we give to them, oh, I'm going to give it back to you next week or that next month. I said, if you do, then great. But this is a gift from the church to you. Because if we're expecting back when people are in need, they're going to be under this burden and responsibility of payback, payback, payback. Now, if God puts it on their heart and they're able to do it, awesome. But there, there, there are places where you say, I'm just helping you. Now, this is not talking, if you're in the real estate business and, or the financial business and people are taking out a, a loan for buying a home, yeah, you expect that back. That's a whole different setting. But there are situations where we're helping people, we just help them. He goes on, but, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It's, 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 when he uses the word uh, kindness and mercy, it's like the t- two sides of the coin. Yeah, mercy is uh, not giving people what they do deserve. You know, they, they, they've insulted you, what do they deserve back? An insult back. I mean, that just, uh, the, in the Old Testament, it was lex talonis, and we're probably familiar with that. It was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You, got, you all got it down, Right? And there's a place for that in law. There ought to be a, a just punishment for a, a just crime. Not just crime. A just, an appropriate punishment for a crime, right? It ought to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. There ought to be fairness in the law. And, and then there's times in relationships, you know, obviously there's a fairness in terms of accountability and things like that. But what are you saying here? We need to also think of the other dimension is that there are times when even though someone deserves it, we just don't give it to them, right? We give them mercy. Now, the other side of it, kindness, is, is the opposite. In, in a sense, it's kind of related to the word grace. It's, it's giving people what they don't deserve. They don't deserve kindness. Why would they deserve kindness? They've been so unkind, I might not give them anything. He says, no, I want you intentionally bless them rather than curse them. They've done that which is not good. Do good to them. They're not praying for you, but I'm going to pray for them. And so I summarize it this way, is that care for others unconditionally, whether you get a payback or not. In fact, actually, there is a payback, but that payback fully and ultimately is where? It's in heaven. You said your your reward will be great in heaven. And and, and so he says, but don't don't expect it now. And, and, And also, don't don't think it's going to be reciprocal. And often we're that way. Man, I, did, I did something good for them, and now they're going to do something good for me. And, and that can happen, but don't predicate your actions based on that, right? Just do it because it honors God, and that's His plan for you. So what's, this, what's, what's the question this morning? The question is simply this. Uh, how radically are we living? How radically are we living? It's impossible to live this way. But this is, this is the challenge. This is, this, is, this is the direction God wants us to live in, in our lives in such a way that honors Him. Because, and, 
Everyone understands we don't do this on our own strength. There's, no, there's not enough goodness in us on our own to do this. There's not enough power to do this. There's not enough love in our own sense of, of being to do that. But, but the Bible says God pours out his love in us through his Holy Spirit who redeems us. So this week, think about people that this isn't true in terms of how you are relating with them and caring for them. And, and do it for the purpose of letting people know that you're a follower of Jesus. And that you want to be a person that, that hears Jesus. Not just the sounds of the words or the, the reading of the text, but it's, it grabs our heart. And this is God's plan for us. So let's pray. Well, I know as I've uh, <laughs> wrestled through this text this week, it's much easier to preach than to live. And Father, I just really pray that, that we be a people that are marked by being with Jesus because his life spills over in our life and we begin to live out what he has called us to live. As we continue to worship this morning, might might we just sense the presence of God and might we desire to know you and to know you deeply and might you receive our gifts to you as an expression of our love for you. And we praise in Christ's name, amen.